This is an RNZ podcast. Cam Wallace probably thought his life was going to get a bit simpler when he signed up as the chief executive of MediaWorks late last year. Running radio networks in an outdoor advertising outfit probably seemed a lot less stressful than Air New Zealand, where he was overseeing mass job losses and a catastrophic slump in revenue brought on by COVID-19. But in his first few months in charge at MediaWorks, he's had a rough ride, after whistleblowers lifted the lid on instances of harassment and claims that his company's culture had turned toxic, and some of his talk radio hosts going rogue didn't help much either earlier in the year. Now, when all that was in the headlines, MediaWatch asked Cam Wallace to come in and talk about it all and what he's going to do about it. He declined at the time, but this week he did sit down with MediaWatch's Hayden Donnell. When Cam Wallace was announced as MediaWorks' new chief executive, the statement he released sounded exuberant. He couldn't wait, it said, to meet the team and get started. Within a week or two of getting started, he was dismissing one of those team members and guaranteeing they would never work for the company again. Wallace made that decision to fire John Banks from his role as a fill-in announcer on Magic Talk after the former Auckland mayor described Māori as a Stone Age people in an on-air exchange with a racist caller. It was the first of a cascade of HR challenges for the new chief executive. Magic Talk's afternoon host, John Plunkett, who'd also faced accusations of racism, resigned soon after. More recently, Wallace has appointed Maria Jew QC to carry out an inquiry into MediaWorks culture after accusations of workplace bullying and harassment surfaced on social media and in reporting by Stuff's Alison Moore. I spoke to Cam Wallace earlier this week about the last few months and how he sees the company building a brighter, more controversy-free future. Kia ora Cam and welcome to Media Watch. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I guess just first off, what drew you to the MediaWorks chief executive job? Well, I wanted to ultimately stay in New Zealand because uh, obviously with managed isolation and COVID and borders closing, that was the right move for me and the right move for my family. So that was the first thing. Then I looked at a, a range of opportunities and I wanted to move into an industry which was adjacent to aviation. So really one that was high energy, there was a lot of passionate people, a lot of creativity and an industry that wasn't boring and it really has delivered. It hasn't been boring. It definitely hasn't been boring. Were you always just going to leave Air New Zealand? Sorry, was that, was that always on the cards because of the troubled COVID situation? Oh, I just looked at the trajectory of the business and I'd been involved in a lot of growth, a lot of long haul international markets, a lot of building the business from a $4 billion business to a $6 billion billion business with Christopher and a whole bunch of other executives. A lot of people, a lot of my mates had left. So I took the determination that uh, it was probably the right time for me to move on. You probably thought when you were moving to MediaWorks, that you were actually going into, I guess, an easier role or a less troubled industry. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be hard to determine a a less troubled industry because aviation having its worst year ever and having its revenue completely wiped out, it was, you know, truly a hellish year. So, you know, any industry looked pretty positive relative to that. Having said that, within a few weeks, you were weathering your first scandal involving the business. So two weeks in... John Banks takes a call from a racist caller. He says something pretty much equally racist in reply. You dismiss John Banks. Now, the timeline that the information came out made it seem like that was in response to advertiser pressure. You had telcos pulling out of the business, that kind of stuff. Was that the actual timeline that you made it in response to advertiser pressure? Absolutely not. And that has been... 
uh, misread really. We uh, made that decision really, really quickly as soon as we became aware of that content circulating online. I was in a taxi slash Uber on the way back to the office. A meeting was already taking place and within 30 odd minutes of us finding out we'd made that decision quite quickly. And, and, and in fact that's one of the easiest decisions you can make because it was so abhorrent, was so unacceptable and so dislocated to the culture we want to create that it was quite an easy decision actually. I know you've just been in the role two weeks or something. You yeah. must have known John Banks's history and stuff that he said before and maybe this was expected then. Uh, was that not something that had registered with you at the time? No, it hadn't registered with me that one that uh, he was ever going to say comments like that. I don't think anyone would anticipate that kind of poor behaviour. He's said pretty unrepeatable stuff in the past, so you must have known that he had form. Everyone knows people's history and form, but in terms of the day-to-day operations of those studios and the ways that we kind of bring people on and part-time, you know, clearly if we had our time again, would we employ John for a week or two weeks? No, we wouldn't. So that's that's an issue we've dealt with now and we need to move on and make sure there's some, you know, deeper analysis in terms of the people we bring onto the show, any show really. With John Banks, you kind of drew a line in the sand, right? You're saying this is absolutely unacceptable, outright racism, not acceptable. Do you have a formal policy now on where the lines are in terms of stuff that you just can't say, topics you can't uh, take that kind of radical view on? We've got policies and procedures that cover you know, broadcasting standards, and then obviously we're um, exposed to the Broadcasting Standards Authority. But as part of the work that Marie is doing on our culture review, that will be encapsulating our standards, our code of conduct, the way we work at MediaWorks. So that will be involved in that process in the, in the, in the months to yeah, come. Yeah, like, for instance, the Broadcasting Standards Authority, yep. that has a series of standards yep. that are not acceptable, you know, hate speech, that kind of thing. Yep. Is, that, is there going to be something like that that you're going to actually work out internally? Uh, We have currently systems and processes, but there'll be a more formalisation of that as we go through the review process, and we'll be transparent about that with the market. So we're looking to release the formal review on our culture, and as part of that, we'll be having a number of recommendations, and included in that will be, you know, was it acceptable, what will we talk about, what we won't talk about. How agnostic are you on stuff that misinforms your audience, especially when it's on topics that have been the subject of pretty widespread agreement? Um, I mean, I think that's a really quite difficult one because there are, you know, if you if you take my personal views on climate change or vaccines, I mean, I think there is a unity ticket that most people on that those things uh, need to be administered and or are real. But we still have to have an open and vibrant exchange of ideas. We're not going to agree with a whole bunch of people who ring up, but as long as they're respectful and as long as we're not promoting a certain uh, view to our listeners, I think that's one of those subjective areas where we've just got to use our judgment. And sometimes our judgment will be wrong and we'll get it wrong and we'll have to face up to those mistakes. It's interesting you say climate change, you say vaccines, because that's really Peter Williams' areas where he's been criticised recently. He's the Magic Talk morning host. Now, he is on record as a climate denier. He wrote an article, I am so over the nonsense that is being propagated by politicians and policy makers about this thing that is now just referred to as climate change. Now, when he speaks on that pretty important issue, probably the biggest story in the world, you know Mm. that his views are going to be misinforming your audience, essentially. You know, even in Australasia, there's elected politicians who have 
similar views on climate change. Climate change is an area I think is that is going to continue to be talked about. But it's, I mean, the facts are clear, and this is not about um, economics. This is about science. I mean, you know, my view is that the facts are clear, but there's always going to be people who have different views to you or I. Well, I mean, Peter Williams has different views to that. He's saying that the science isn't clear. So, I mean, just for instance, on that topic, I mean, how how different is that to someone seventy years ago being like cigarettes don't cause cancer? How different is what Peter Williams is saying about climate change to someone saying that 70 years ago? Yeah, I'm not sure that analogy is quite appropriate. I think that we give our audience credit for being smart, having their own views. They can ring up. I mean, talkback is actually quite a small percentage of what MediaWorks is as a business. And I don't think we are ramming one certain opinion down the throat of our listeners. I, I just don't think that's the case. The, the other thing that he mm. has been criticised for yeah. is some of the anti-vax stuff. Anti-vaxxers love Peter Williams. I know that you say that he's not an anti-vaxxer. Well, he's, he, had... he's, he's said that himself. That he's not one. Yes. He's, having said that, he had a whole show where he invited on a whole bunch of people to share their concerns about the yep. COVID-19 vaccine. Yep. Yep. Uh, he's had the anti-vaxxer Sue Gray on repeatedly, yep. Voices for Freedom, an anti-vax group. They love him. They keep saying that he's one of the best broadcasters yep. in New Zealand. The evidence is sort of piling up here that at least anti-vaxxers see Peter Williams as their friend. Is that something that you can responsibly broadcast, given the importance of people getting the COVID-19 vaccine? Um, I, I think that falls into, there's different views from different people in the community about whether or not they should uh, take the vaccine. Look, if there's a vaccine here, I'd take it right now, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and many, many, many people would. But some of my friends are quite surprised about uh, making a decision not to for health reasons or age reasons. But isn't, pre- that, isn't that something that you as a broadcaster, as people with a huge platform, should actually be trying to address responsibly uh, and encourage people to take it rather than actually sowing discord and doubt further? Oh, I don't think we're sowing discord and doubt. We've got... Nine, Peter Williams nine, had a whole show where he yeah, essentially but got, did. But if you look at the amount of content we have across the number of platforms, I think we can justify promoting an open and robust exchange of ideas. It doesn't mean that we agree with the people on the show. It doesn't mean we agree with the callers. But at the end of the day, we've got to be a platform which is open to having that exchange of views. I mean, if if we go down the line of saying, oh, we're not going to talk about COVID-19 or vaccines, it's going to be a pretty uninteresting show. No one's saying that, right? But if you're going to talk about COVID-19 and vaccines, then surely, surely if you're going to talk about those things, then you don't want to elevate the views of people that uh, have unscientific takes on it and have, I mean, potentially harmful. If people don't take the vaccine, then people could die. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, as I've said before, um, Peter is not anti-vaccines. Uh, he's stated that publicly. Um, he's, you know, you've stated the people. He's had some people on the show, some callers uh, who have different views. We don't support those views, but what we are supporting is an open exchange of views. Mm. Now, you told the Herald that you're actually looking at that Magic Talk segment. We're that... still on Magic Talk. Yeah, but... <laughs> And that you might be setting up a new station or two. Can you expand on that? So we are in the middle of a strategic review of our business because MediaWorks is actually a new business. We've got two profitable and stable parts of the media industry. And how do we want to grow and how do we want to develop those assets? And one of the options is starting up um, some, you know, developing some new stations. Mm. Probably in four to six weeks, we'll be able to inform the market about what our pathway is. 
before Magic Talk, you had Radio Live, obviously, which was a bit more yep. of a diverse yep. range of voices. And then Magic Talk was essentially an effort to go into that space that had been vacated when someone like Leighton Smith went off the air. I mean, are you going to go back to something more like Radio Live or is it going to be a split off? It's a good question and we don't have the answers because we're analysing a range of options. What I would say is this is radio or audio businesses need to change as the country's changed. So things that are acceptable from an advertising perspective or content perspective now are very, very different to what was acceptable five or ten years ago. If I, if I look at aviation experience, what we, we always used to look at Virgin Atlantic, and they actually have tremendous brand campaigns. If I relook at those brand campaigns now, you would never put them to wear because society has changed. And MediaWorks and our business wants to change with society. So we want to be modern and we want to be contemporary and we want to be positive. Second order of business. The second big thing that has come up in your very short tenure as the chief executive. What prompted you to set up this inquiry by Maria Jew QC into MediaWorks culture? What influence did there's some anonymous social media posts and also Alison Moore's reporting yep. about MediaWorks culture? Yep. What influence did they play? Oh, yeah, they they had some influence. It wasn't total influence. We want to be proactive in terms of understanding what our culture has been and is and what we want it to be in the future. The Culture Review is looking back three years, which was the recommendation from Maria, to see what is the actual culture at MediaWorks. But then most importantly, it's going to be what can we make it and what recommendations will she give us so we can create a really inclusive and positive culture. Now, those terms of reference have been criticised. I haven't seen the criticism of it. Yeah. So the criticism is that 2018 is not long enough. Yeah, so that was a recommendation from Maria. I mean, that's long enough to give her enough context and history, but also short enough that it doesn't take a year, right? So this will take three or four months, and we don't want this dragging on and on and on. We've made it three years, and that was the recommendation that she gave us, so we went with it. The concern is that some of these issues have been long-standing For instance, in 2017, The Rock was auditioning its newsreaders in bikinis. Hmm. I mean, this is one year prior to the expiry date on your terms of reference. There's going to be people from years past that are going to feel like they can't contribute to this inquiry. Can you expand it out? Oh, look, we've made a decision to make it three years because that was the recommendation. If you make it five years, there'll be someone who has has an incident six years ago. If we make it six years, presumably there'll be someone seven years ago. Look, Maria's been pretty open, so if people are wanting to go to her with um, suggestions, commentary, she'll be open to that anyway. The reality is we're actually leaning into this process of culture Uh, We're spending a lot of money on the review. We're serious about it. We're not shying away from it. So, you know, I take issue with people saying, hey, you know, the terms of reference aren't broad enough or the time frame isn't broad enough because actually we've taken the advice from independent uh, professionals on how we should run this process. Just to calm people's fears about the terms of reference, then are you willing to publish them publicly no, be upfront about yeah, them? they're on our website. Okay. They're listed on our website and they're broad and encompassing. We're wanting people to come forward. I remember when the John Banks story came out, you actually put out a statement to that effect. Well, you know, we know this culture is great. Yep. This is an aberration. Is that something that you still think? Yeah, I do. Th- I do think the culture is really positive and creative. Like any organisation, 
uh, there'll be pockets of behaviour which is not consistent with where we want to be. We want to be a business which is attuned to modern New Zealand. That's what we want to be. But any organisation, I suspect you would find some pockets of behaviour which is not consistent with the values of the organisation. Not ARNZ, no. definitely not ARNZ. Oh, no, at ARNZ <laughs> in every single organisation. But you've talked, I think, in other interviews about you know meeting people that have been in radio and you're struck by the fact they've all been there 30, 40 years. Yes. The question is how many of those people that you've met that have been there 30, 40 years are women? That was one of the real uh, surprises for me when I was going through the interview process, Aidan, actually, because when I looked at our board of directors and I looked at our direct report team to the CEO... It was stark that we didn't have enough diversity. And I made it clear to the shareholders and the chairman that I wasn't going to take this role on unless we had a true and real commitment to creating gender diversity. And And you'll see that there are women in the industry, but from what I hear from people, there are women that enter the industry and they encounter this culture Mm. of sexual harassment, otherwise bullying, and they flame out. And how many women do you have that are actually lasting in that industry for 30 or 40 years, like you say? And I think that's a great question. And what we've done in the last 12 weeks is we've got two independent female directors. My direct team has gone from one female to four, so we've got 50% um, gender diversity on our executive team now. And I am absolutely committed to look at things like content directors and right through the organisation because that was one of the big differences I've seen from aviation to media is that there just hasn't been that commitment to diversity in this segment, which has been really surprising for me and a bit frustrating, I suspect, for people in the business. I'm guessing that'll be part of that review. Now, just one other thing with the terms of reference and the inquiry by Maria Ducusi. When some of the reporting about it came out, MediaWorks, I think probably through a spokesperson, said that there had been inaccuracies that had been printed on social media. Is that really an appropriate statement, given that there is an inquiry going on? Is that preempting its results in some way? No, I think that's probably an attempt for um, the organisation to protect some of the people who are feeling uh, at some stage that the organisation wasn't um, protecting them. So I don't think that's something that we want to follow through on. The reality is we just want the review to be independent, we want it to be proactive, and we want it to be really professionally run well away from MediaWorks management and executive. On to other business. You sure? I think, we should, <laughs> I think we should move on. So on to the other business, the potential arrival of our public media behemoth, yes. Yes. the combination of TVNZ and RNZ. Are you concerned? I know that you're not in the TV business anymore. Are you concerned about uh, its arrival in the next few years? Um, I wouldn't call our view concerned. So clearly if it was less commercial... That would free up some advertising revenue for the advertising profit pool, and that would be quite beneficial for all commercial media arms. If it was more commercial, well, that would have the opposite effect. You so, think that you're actually at risk if, if, for instance, it becomes this huge commercial buyer, like that could take money that might have been spent on radio advertising away from your business? Oh, I mean, I think if it was structured to be purely commercial, all media organisations who were commercial, whether it was staff or NZME or ourselves, would have some concerns. I'm a big supporter of public media, and I think it would be fantastic um, to bring all this organisation together. We just want the objectives 
and the terms of reference to be really clear so everyone knows um, how it's going to be structured, what the desire of the combined entity will be, and how much of it will be commercial and how much of it will be publicly funded. One of the things that you lost when you split off with three uh, was your dedicated newsroom. You had all of that online resource. You had all these employees. You're a news junkie by your own admission. Is that something that you're looking to address? Yeah, so we still have a, a special relationship with Discovery through a, what we call transitional service agreement, but also a news relationship. So that's part of our strategic review to say, what part of the news business do we want to be in? There's some indication that you might be interested in acquiring an organisation like the Spinoff or Newsroom. So we don't want to rule anything in and we don't want to rule anything out. But obviously they play a very important part of the new media landscape. Having said that... Radio does face some pretty long-term challenges, right? Mm. Millennials are listening less to radio than any generation before. That great ally, the car, is going a little bit more out of fashion and should go more out of fashion as time goes on. Mm. What do you see as your business's long-term future, particularly in that radio arm? If I look at radio for the last five to ten years, it's been a lot more resilient than other components of the media industry and a lot more resilient than I would have anticipated. So whilst there's been some dilution of you know time spent listening, the reality is the numbers are higher and more robust than I had anticipated. The challenge for us is how do we adapt and grow I'm using different tools? I that it's going to reach this tipping point. I remember when newspapers were like, oh, our business model is strong and, and things were growing and then it really tipped off pretty quickly once technology actually got to the point where it infiltrated people's lives. You know, audio businesses, they have to adapt, they have to change, and we have to probably remove some of our reliance on advertising uh, and kind of move into different models, be that subscription, be that kind of uh, generated content, be it um, more podcasts. Those are the different things, ways and means we're thinking about how we develop and, and drive the business for the future. Thank you very much, Cam Wallace. Okay, thank you.